Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about how to run an effective one-on-one meeting with employees. And I don't mean the regular weekly or bi-weekly meetings where you're talking about their day-to-day work. I mean the less frequent ones where you're talking about their career development, things that could be improved about the company, and so on. Uh, but before we get into that, let's give some updates. So what have you been up to, Rick? I'm, I just ran here from a meeting, which I, which is making me sweat a little bit. So I'm not nervous. I imagine you being like, I know you're not wearing a suit right now, but the guy in a suit and like papers are flying out of his briefcase running down the street. Is that I'm you? Way, no, I'm way cooler than that. I'm wearing jeans and a, and a golf t-shirt. <sighs> startup bro. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually came from a startup uh, co-working space. So it was a lot of people like, li- that looked just like me, um, <laughs> but it was, uh, it's, it's always good. So I'm sorry I was late. No worries. No. Um, yeah. What do you, what are, what are the highlights of the week for you? Let's see. Um, I'm trying that new schedule this week. So we talked, I think it was last week about how to restructure your time to increase productivity. I am having a way more productive week as a result of reducing some of the daily structure I put in place. Mm -hmm. Um, I've already written my article for the week uh, at ricklinks.com. I've made a lot of progress on getting appointments uh, with, uh, with, with insurance companies, which is I'm almost at the into that cycle. And then I've got all day tomorrow dedicated to creative time and I can let that continue into the weekend if I want. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's working so far. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I've already felt better. It's taken, um, a lot, lot. I, I didn't realize how many by, by scheduling each day. So specifically how many commitments I was making in my head. Hmm. And I didn't realize the drag that that was creating. So now I've got like, you know, a, a list of things I want to get done in the week, but I can bucket. I don't like care when I get them done. I just get them done when I feel like getting them done. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole, I get, I've gotten way more done than what I had set out to do at this point. Yeah. There's that classic Steve Jobs thing where he probably took it too far, but like he wore the same clothes every day so that he never, he didn't have to wake up and make a decision about that. And I feel like there's something similar here where it just, even if at the end of the day you get the same amount of work done, if you can not have to think about it, it just takes away so much stress. Yeah, we spend so much time. I didn't realize how much time I was spending thinking about what work I need to do instead of just doing the work. Mm-hmm. You can take it the other way too, because I, I think like six months ago I said the opposite, where I was like I, I was so busy doing work uh, on the product management side of the company, I, I started sitting in more meetings and actually planning stuff out and it was a huge help. So probably you were too far in one direction and I was too far in the other. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's like what I like working with you. Uh, one of the reasons I like working with you is because you, I, I tend to find more balance after mm-hmm. on my, especially on my viewpoints when I talk mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then we're, um, the thing I'm working on tomorrow is um, we're launching a new community for group current. Uh, which is uh, called rehabhealth.com. And it's going to be focused on rehab professionals, specifically like physical therapists and athletic trainers, and even the orthopedic doctors who um, are surgeons who, who sort of the, the group of people who focus on getting someone back to physical health after they've had an injury. 
um, or surgery or whatever. And it's uh, it's interesting. There's a massively unserved. There's an opportunity to have significantly more innovation and collaboration in those in that space. And um, I'm excited to learn. And I'm kind of like the technology provider. I'm like the, the engineer in this case. And hmm. my part, my partner, David's the one who has the vision and the, he sees the problem and has a vision for the solution, but I'm excited to start working with some different, some people from different industries and trying to help them succeed. So just to make sure I understand, is there an existing association or community or something that's outsourcing this to you, or are you creating it from scratch? We're creating it from scratch. And wow. It's a, uh, there's a lots of associations out there, but man, it's like the insurance industry. Like they're so, they're very old and most of what they're paying for is lobbying. There isn't anyone trying to help them create new relationships around innovative ideas. So I realize you probably didn't mean to spend too much time on this, but if I can dive in a little, I've always heard you describe group current as outsourced group member management. This isn't outsourced. Does this reflect a pivot where you're thinking like, are you going to go around and start 20 different communities and monetize them all? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good question because we we want to try creating this one um, from scratch because there isn't necessarily anyone who would pay us to do it, but we see a huge opportunity for a community. I wouldn't call it necessarily a pivot in that we always felt like this would be an opportunity for us. Uh, if we wanted to, once we figured out the framework for building a community. So I think now that we've got a framework that we believe is real, we we see this as an opportunity to sort of battle test that framework within, in a new space and see if we've got something that's worth investing some resources into automating and and and, just, and, and productizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the quickest pathway to do that is to start your own community. Um, but th- there is a reason that we're focusing on this for David's other businesses he is playing in this space and he would, you know, this is something that he would potentially become a client on. Like if he wanted to take ownership of this community down the road, he could do that and become a client of group current. Um, but right now for now, since we're the only two that are going to be working on it, we just are doing it through group current. Yeah. And final question, is this an in-person uh, community or like virtual? This, this one will be virtual, which will be slightly different than, than Panda labs. Um, but it will, there will be opportunities to, to connect people in person, um, if they're in the same regional area and we're actually finding it and we just, we, we just completed all the feedback analysis from the Panda labs community, which is more in person. And they're going, we want more virtual, um, because like they're, they're finding that the, the in-person is so inefficient in terms of meeting people and being able to do a quick qualifier on who they are and whether or not there's a, some overlap. And so we think that virtual is where we can probably where we need to figure out how to work make, make panel labs better and rehab health will be a great place to sort of test some of our hypotheses around the virtual community yeah and then apply them to pando i think in five years probably there's going to be a company worth 10 billion plus dollars that's thing is remote community mostly remote workplaces but just taking what used to happen in person and, and making it happen naturally online i i, I totally agree and it's um, I thought it was going to be easier, but there's all kinds of challenges around. Um, you have a whole usage problem, and you, you, there's tons of players out there who don't do this well, and so there's a lot of uh, and like sort of assumptions being made that this is just a bunch of spam. Like people, mm-hmm. so many people have tried and to solve this problem and failed, and pivoted to like 
like LinkedIn's a perfect example. Like LinkedIn yeah. had this opportunity, but they have like totally sabotaged it by monetizing with recruiters and allowing salespeople to do the things that they do without having any consequences. Yeah. Cool. What else? Uh, um, the only other thing is I'm identifying adding Betty users for leg up health. Um, and what's a really positive sign I've added, I've, I've added a uh, five beta users this week to hmm. like commitments, el- awesome. both confirm their eligibility and they've committed to joining the community. So I need to onboard them. Um, but what's crazy is that the, by asking the question, do you buy your own health insurance? And then following that up with, do you know anyone who buys your own health insurance? The referral rate is exponential. Hmm. So, uh, it's one, one, one person who buys their own health insurance knows other people more than one other person that buys their own health insurance. And so I'm actually realizing user acquisition is not going to be a challenge. The technology is now going to be my biggest challenge. So it's, uh, I'm, you know, I'm excited, but it makes me a little scared that I'm going to be able to deliver on the tech side now. I, I, I kind of say this every time, but I feel like if you, I realize you don't want to personally be one, one-on-one working with each person, but you're kind of like everyone used to buy through an agency and then everyone moved to the marketplace or whatever. You're almost like, there's a model here that's just be an agency. Not that you would never build the technology, but I, I almost wonder would it make sense to start high, like bringing on more agents and stuff like that before the technology gets there? I don't think so because the the margins just aren't high enough to support that. Um, their automation and user experience are critical to make this worth both the user's time and the service provider's time. So in, unless those two things come together in a way that is mutually beneficial, this this doesn't scale. I'd just be an agent. Um, gotcha. So it's it's a yeah. I have it has crossed my mind, but like it's not there. It's not the, the market. The reason. That there's such an uncertain opportunity here is that you can't just go do this without technology because of the slim margins. How much efficiency do you need? Like if you think you manually being an agent, you know, the cost is this, the the revenue is that, how much of a gap do you need to make to with the technology? It should, I, I would say it should increase capacity per user by 300%. 400%. So if one rep could handle, I'm just making up a number, 500, 100, 500 clients, you, if, yeah. if you can get to the point where one rep can handle 1500, you've got a good business. No, it's more like the, I think that they can easily handle 100 to 200. We need to get to 500. Oh, okay. 500 is the number. Like I got to be able to hire someone who can be remote, manage their own time, 50 to a hundred thousand dollars per year, depending on the skill set that I need. Cause I don't know yet. And they need to be able to manage 500 users. Okay. That's sort of it's, the, yeah. It's awesome having that. Like it's, it's, I'm normally not a big fan of being really metrics driven, but that seems like such a clean number to chase after. Yeah. And I, I don't think that we can scale that without having some automations and systems behind that, which has to translate into some form of a positive value added user experience to, to the, to the mm-hmm. user. And I, I guess my, mo- my biggest worry is, delivering that user experience that solves the problems. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I, I, I still don't, because I haven't done it yet. I, and I don't, I haven't done it before. I have some yeah. anxiety around. There's two ways to look at this though. One is give a better experience to the user. The other one is give better tools to the insurance agent. Like you could imagine this eventually being, you're just a software provider to insurance agents. 
rather than you're not interested in that at all. No, that's the model that exists today. And it's awful because okay. I, I think that what, at the end of the day, what I want to do is I don't want to hire insurance agents. I want to hire awesome customer service people who want to be coaches and they're willing to get licensed. Yeah. Um, and an insurance agent, like the whole like empowering insurance agents mo- movement that that requires that the type of person who's going into that business is not the type of person who wants to be a, you know, a stay at home, you know, work from home, remote employee logging into a computer and servicing 500 people, yeah. coaching okay. 500 people. That's very different. Like it's a totally different mentality. And, um, what I'm really prioritizing is the service. Like I'm trying to create a product that allows an employee of mine to focus on just providing awesome service. And right. Yeah. And an agent doesn't get to do that. They have to focus gotcha. on sales. Does that, does that help? Yeah. I'm going to keep pushing back on that a little. I, I totally agree. You don't want current insurance agents as your workforce. Um, I think I might push back in the future. We don't need to dive into this now about these people you hire. Like You could imagine the, the main software gains are coming towards offering software to what is currently an insurance agent, less so than you directly interacting with the consumer a lot. Fair enough. But anyway. Um, all right. That it for you? Yeah, uh, that's it for me. Sorry for taking so long. What, what are you up to? Yeah, that's great. Uh, big, I don't think we, this is going to take too long, but a couple big things happened today. So one is I have been mentioning, I'm, I've been working on like a redesign of the marketing site of Lessening CRM. Uh, it's just the homepage. So if you go to any other page on the site, it still looks pretty bad. Like it looks like the old version, but the homepage has been redesigned as of today. Um, so I'm excited about that one. I'm, you know, staring at the analytics to see if it has an Im- impact on conversions or anything like that. I'm staring, I'm staring at less annoying CRM.com right now. It looks really yeah. good. Is this, you like um, it? is this the design that you outsourced? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tweaked it slightly, uh, but it's very close to what was kind of handed to me from the, the kind of consultant or a contractor. Tra- is that that yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. Cool. It went really well. If, uh, if anyone needs a, you know, referral to a designer. I've got one now. <laughs> um, but so I've got, I've got mockups for maybe five other pages that he did for me. And then I'm going to go in and th- the idea is there's kind of a design system where even if I don't, he didn't do a mockup of a page, I can kind of take, you know, here's what headers look like. Here's what call out boxes look like and kind of apply it to the rest of the site. That's so cool, man. It looks great. Thanks. Uh, this addresses a big pain point that you've been embarrassed of for a while. Yeah, it, uh, the old version looked pretty aggressively outdated. Uh, something I always wonder, is this going to impact conversions? Because on the one hand, I could imagine a lot of people coming to our old homepage and just immediately being like, this this company's not trustworthy. On the other hand, there are 50,000 things that go into a person's decision about what CRM to use. Is the homepage really that important? This is one of those, when we're talking about A-B testing, this is one of those massive like changes that you really can't, you don't, you aren't going to know what exactly is impacting conversions. So yeah. you got, you kind of just have to do the wholesale change and then start iterating from there. Yeah, exactly. That That's the plan. So I was going to AB test it. And then I was like, who am I kidding? First of all, I'm going to make the change no matter what. Like I like it so much better, but also, yeah, what am I really going to learn from the AB test? No, you'll, you'll, the only thing you can do now is start AB testing on the top of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I'm interested. I'd be interested to see like what the if there's a, a change in significantly in paths or conversions from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll let you know. Um, then the other thing is we like 
30 minutes ago, finally 100% launched 3.7, the new redesign of the app. So we we did the soft launch back in November where new signups started going onto it. Today, we migrated over the last, I want to say like 3,000 or so users. Um, so every single one of our users is now on the new version and we're killing the old version. It's dead. It's buried. So that's exciting too. That's congrats, man. So what are you going to do Thanks. now with all this time? <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually interesting. Like we're starting that process of saying we've got a list of a thousand, you know, projects for the software engineers to work on, and prioritizing that is tough. <laughs> so we're uh, we we had talked about this in a podcast a while back, but uh, that's that's the challenge right now. Yeah, it's funny. Um, oftentimes that requires a lot of time invested in having some conflict around what's most important. Do you think like you have clarity on what overarching outcome you're trying to achieve in the short term or in the near term that you can use to guide these priorities? Yes. It's not going to, you may not find this satisfying, but what, what everyone internally wants is something that does not, it's not like a strategic thing. It's we've got a product, we have a long, long list of little things here and there that will not fundamentally, it won't change our positioning. It won't change anything at all about the big picture, but it's just every little thing will get a little bit better. And that's what everyone wants to spend the next, let's say six months focusing on. That works perfect for me because I want to focus on marketing with my time, which means I don't want to be designing a million new features and stuff. So we have a set of improvements that are just slam dunks. We know customers will like them and they don't need any design. It's like, you know, we already have this thing, just make it work better or make it faster or something like that. So we're probably going to mostly be doing that type of thing. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I actually, uh, I, I had a, a meeting recently that, I, that caused me to reflect on teamwork a bit. And it's every time I talk to you about how things operate at Less Knowing CRM makes me so jealous because it seems like teamwork is easy at Less Knowing CRM. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of organizations, at least a lot of the organizations I've been a part of, teamwork hasn't been so easy. It's often hard, uh, and it's it seems like you you w- just maintain a really good environment for making teamwork easy. Yeah, I hope so. I think it's largely accidental, but now that I know it's there, I'm trying like hell to protect it. Where I, I think the key is there's as far as I know, there's not a single person here who dislikes a single other person here or where there's any resentment or politics or anything. So it, just avoiding that, just having that, everyone's just like on the same team. And yeah, people don't necessarily agree on stuff, but it's always done in good faith. So I feel good about it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, well, let's dive into the topic. So speaking of teamwork, this is a part of it, um, which is I uh, I want to talk about how to have one-on-ones with employees. So I think this is a well-understood term, but basically a manager meeting with an employee or something like that. That's what I mean by one-on-one. The context here is that uh, every six months, well, originally I met with every employee at the company every month. Uh, Eventually we got big enough that that was just taking up way too much of my time. So I switched to the people I directly manage. We still meet more regularly, but everyone at the company I meet with every six months. The meeting is always right after I give a company presentation. So every six months, I give a presentation to the company. The topics can vary, but it's like, you know, strategy stuff, big picture stuff, something like that. Uh, 
And then after that, I meet one-on-one with everybody and try to like get feedback from them and stuff like that. So I have this coming up in, I think it's maybe two weeks I'm giving the presentation and then maybe the week after that, the meetings or something like that. So I've got like back to back to back, you know, 20 meetings in a row. I mean, split between days. I've got all these one-on-ones coming up. And basically what I wanted to talk about with you is just what I can do to get the most out of these meeting meetings. I don't have any formal management training. I haven't, I, I've thought about this a lot, but I haven't really solicited a lot of outside feedback on like, what should I be doing with this one hour per person every six months? So that's kind of the topic here. So um, I guess, I mean, I just like to take, take a step back and say, I have one on, we have one-on-ones all the time with different people for different reasons. Um, I, I want, I want to be clear. You're talking about a specific one-on-one with employees who don't report with you, report to you. Yes. And even the ones who do report to me, like if I have a one-on-one with a programmer at the company, we're talking about what did you work on as your last project? What are you going to work on as your next project? It's very like transactional and based on the work they're doing. Even if if you're, I, I've never been a manager in the traditional sense, but if you are, I think you still periodically, you have either a annual or quarterly. So, so often you have a bigger meeting where you're going to talk about, you're going to step away from the day-to-day stuff and talk about other stuff. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So, so are we talking about like uh, a weekly one-on-one about. here? What's the frequency? Uh, every six months. Every six months. Okay. So I just want to take just kind of big picture. One-on-ones happen all the time. You have one-on-ones with your spouse, maybe. You have one-on-ones uh, with your co-founder. You have one-on-ones with your direct reports. Yeah, and, and the frequency may be weekly. It could be monthly. It could be every six months. It could be once a year. Um, I guess when I think about one-on-ones, uh, the first thing I go to is why have them? Right, um, which is maybe... A, so I'm saying yeah. I'm currently doing it every six months. Feel free to tell me it should be every quarter or never, not at all. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I guess what is your goal? Why are you doing these one-on-ones? Okay, so to start with, I said we're too big for me to meet every month with every person. It's it's an 18-person company. It's not huge. Uh, it would be, I think, uh, negligent for me to not have a fairly strong connection with every single person at the company. Some people I interact with a lot day to day just due to the the nature of our work, but some people I don't depending on what their projects are. So part of it's just, I feel like I have a duty to sit down and connect with every person, hear them out. And really, I think the main thing is give them a chance to be heard by me. I'm always in group meetings with people, but like give them a chance to to provide feedback to me basically. So it sounds like you want to build a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. That's why you're doing this. Yeah. Is there uh, another reason? Well, no, I think that's that's right. That's maybe I think there's we could get more specific than that, but yeah. like if you're a manager, like not not me, but like you're at a giant company and you manage five people or whatever. I don't know, you, there's all kinds of different things you need to do. You need to have performance evaluations from time to time. There's just conversations that need to happen not every week, but not never either. Yeah, I totally agree. So like, I'm, what I'm trying to get to is, uh, let's just say we're all founders here. We're sub 50 employees. W- what's the argument for meeting once or twice a year, one-on-one with every employee? Like, why mm-hmm. should you do that? I don't, I'm not getting like, uh, I'm not well, getting okay. a clear answer like to why that's a priority. Yeah, that should fair. be a priority. Yeah. The, the reality is I'm making it up because I started out doing this and it was good. And so I never challenged it. So I do, I do think it's good, but it's good to challenge it. 
Let me let me ask outcome, it differently then. Let me ask yeah. it differently then. Why what what would why would you not just stop doing these? Right. That's a good question. So I think it's it's it really comes down to employee morale more than anything. Um yes, it's building a relationship. I think I get some level of a relationship from every week we have company lunch and the seating is mixed up. So over time I I sit next to everybody and talk to them and stuff like that, or various company events. This is just like a time for that person to be heard, feel like they have a direct connection to me. And I, I do think at a small business, one of the advantages you have is you can get people to buy in more because they're not working for this machine. They're working for an individual person. And it's so, yeah, it's it's about building that relationship. Yeah, it feels I mean, I hate to it feels very similar to your onboarding when we talked about onboarding and hiring. Like it feels like this is a trust building exercise more than anything. And, you know, both ways, like you want to trust them and they want to, and you want them to trust you. So almost like it's a, it's part of what you do to maintain a trusting relationship with the, with each team member, um, interpersonally. And then also that probably translates into them trusting the organization. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's the primary goal. If I can give a secondary one, I do get good ideas from people out of this. So what I do right now is I kind of give them a list of questions, normally maybe three or four questions. And I'm like, you have to answer two or three of these. And if I do 18 of these meetings, many of them, nothing all that constructive comes out of, but I get enough each time that for the next six months, I've got stuff to work on that, that really is, you know, meaningful. So second, so second is learning related. What are you, what, what specifically are you typically learning? Are you trying to learn specific things or is it just trying to learn whatever you can from that person. Yeah, that's part of what I'm interested in. I'm I'm interested in your ideas on this. Like what what could I be getting out of it that I'm not? But some examples I've done in the past are like um I try to ask questions that make people a little uncomfortable. I figure if it's something they would volunteer readily, I'll I already know about it. So I might say one of the questions is if you're not working here a year from now, why? Um or like what's the uh, this is a uh, a generic version of it, but different variations of what's the one thing you would change here? Or um, if you're, if a friend were thinking about working here, what's the warning you would give them? And I, I say you have to answer some of these. So basically there's, I, our company is very like kumbaya, everyone gets along and stuff. It's very rare for me to get negative or critical feedback from people. So this is kind of my time to say, no, you have to say something bad and it gives me something to work on. So it feels like this is almost like you're culture checkup. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And it's, you're doing it manually. You could do it other ways, but you have the capacity right now at your employee account to do two things. Like let's build some trust so I can get some real stuff out of you. And then let's get that real stuff out of you so that we can maintain the best culture and not mess up what we have going. Right. Yeah. It's mostly defensive. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's an exercise in defending your culture. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. So what, um, yeah, I totally get why you're doing it now. Cool. What, why, why are <laughs> so, you getting, no, like, I guess, uh, what makes it, what, what's like a good one-on-one for you? Um, I'd say there's like uh, th- one form of good one is just the person's really happy and it's all good stuff. That's not constructive, but both parties leave feeling good. And it's probably, it's probably constructive in the form of the trust building and stuff. The most like immediately productive ones are ones where someone comes in and says, 
listen, I, you know, I'm happy. Things are good. But the reality is this is a thing we can do something about. And sometimes it's really small. Like one time it was literally, can we get salt and pepper shakers on the tables? And it's like, I think I can take care of that one. Yeah. <laughs> and But even just something that small, an employee says that, two days later, there's salt and pepper shakers on the table and they they feel like they were heard, right? Most of the time, it's going to be bigger than that. Like one I've heard recently, our building doesn't have great uh, like disabled accessibility in the front door. Now, that's largely outside of my control, but he- hearing something like that is maybe the right level of like, that is a challenge. That's a thing that we need to deal with. But if I do this, not only are they going to feel heard, the company will be better. Every employee will receive the benefits from that and so on. Cool. Um, well, I'd, I'd love to sort of hear what your questions are and how much time you're taking. And and uh, I know exactly how to like think about improving. So yeah. What are you doing? What do you, what do you, like? What do you normally do? Like, are the same questions every year? There, there are always different questions. So that's part of it. Is like, I think maybe four, three years ago, I put together a big list of questions and I exhausted them last time. Yeah. So I could go back and recycle them, but I do not currently have a list of questions. That's one thing I was Ooh, interested I have a in talking about. I have about. a question that I'd be interested in. So you remember? Yeah. Um, so I think like most of the, the examples you just gave are things that are problems today. Like, mm-hmm. like tum- and that's like, that's good. I think that's definitely like some form of question. Some, some portion of your question should be designed around pulling out what's, what's getting in the way of awesomeness today. Mm-hmm. But I think the more interesting stuff that you might get could come from pulling out what could happen tomorrow um, that probably won't happen, but what if it did and how would we handle it? So like, uh, you know, remember that article I sent you on inversion from uh, what's that guy's name? I always forget his name. Uh, James Clear. Yeah. Uh, and it's about like, can you? It'd be interesting to think, like, get your employee somehow thinking about like a worst case scenario or like things like what, like if let's just say there was a shooting. I'm just being crazy. Like downtown, and you're safe. You didn't feel safe coming downtown. I'm being crazy here, but like what, you know, what would that do? Get him to think of like situations that are unlikely to happen, but maybe they're fearful of, Hmm. um, which will be unique to each person and how like think through with you, how we would handle that as an organization. That's interesting. So last time, uh, so six months ago when I asked this, one of the questions was like, basically what keeps you up at night or what are you most worried about related to work? Um, which is, I think, similar to what you're saying, but you're saying I should actually propose the scenario and then say, what do you want to do about it? I don't know the answer to this. I just know that there's great value in thinking on the negative side of the future. Mm-hmm. Like if, if your goal is we want to maintain, de- defend this culture that we have, and there's two parts to that. One is like, let's identify what's not going well, what is going well. Let's keep doing what we're not, what we're doing well and, and like immediately put salt stakers on the table. Um, for the things that aren't like, I think that's, in, that's definitely like good. Like, I think that's a good meaning, but like, if you're trying, like what would be really interesting is to pull out, like, what are the like things that you feel like we need to have a plan B for? Yeah. Um, okay. I like this a lot, but let me express a concern I have with okay. this. Um, I view part of my job as like founder CEO to protect employees from the stress of being an entrepreneur. Like if, if they have to put up with all the stress I do, 
they should get paid what I do. They should have equity. Like part of my job is to protect them. And I do know not like some people can handle it better than others, but some people would get really anxious if I was like, here's, here's a legitimate thing that could happen. What if small businesses cease to exist because Amazon killed them all? Who do we sell to? If I, if I say that, they're going to get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a good idea. I guess um, what I, I, I don't think you should propose things. I, I guess like it would be interesting to try to pull out their like what what they might be worried about happening in the future. Hmm. Um, I think like there's, there's a difference between saying what's keeping you up at night right now in terms of what's getting in your way, and what what are you what are you sometimes worried about happening down the road that could threaten our culture. Okay. Let me, can I propose a way to ask this? I think it asks the same question, but you should check me on that if you disagree without the anxiety behind it, which is if you were to start a competitor to less annoying CRM, what would you target or what opportunity would you go after to try and beat us? Does that get the same thing? Gosh, it's like, it's saying it's putting them in the, uh, if you were, I like, I like it. I would, I would change it to, if you were the CEO of less annoying CRM, what are the first three things you would do to make our culture better? Yeah. I kind of think that's in the vein of questions I've already asked, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm to some extent, I always ask the same thing just in different words. So, okay. That's, that, that's I, probably one I'll put on there. I, I, I think like, I think that's more direct. I think that's accomplishing the same thing that you just said, but making it more actionable. If you're going to create a competitor to less annoying CRM, what would you do differently? Well, I, what I, I meant, understand. though, I, w- I wanted to focus on the negatives. Like you said, focus on the negatives, but every problem can be framed as an opportunity. And so that, that was really the intent behind that was rather than saying what's wrong to say, what would an opportunity be if you're trying to like challenge what we're doing? But mm-hmm. I, I hear what you're saying. Okay, so that, that'll probably be, I'll, I'll give some thought to that. I, yeah, I, I think like if you're truly trying to protect people from the anxiety of entrepreneurship, then it, it gets difficult to get to ask them to think about the future because that's yeah. what anxiety is, right? Like anxiety is thinking about the future and worrying about it. Um, so it's almost like if, if, if really like if you don't want to pr- like generate anxiety, you can't talk much about f- the future. Yeah, there's a middle ground here, though, okay. I guess. Yeah. So when when I last time when I asked the question, like, what keeps you up at night? One of the most common answers is some variety of like, what if I or my brother or some some other like leader at the company gets hit by a bus? Um, I think maybe three different people said that independently. Uh, talking about someone getting hit by a bus probably brings about more stress than Certain, like there, there's other things just like where do you see macro trends going and how can we stay ahead of it or something like that. I like I like uh, the hit by the bus scenario. What did you do about that? Um, it turned out that we already have more protections in place than a lot of people realized. I just hadn't told anyone like Bracken and I sh- like have access to each other's passwords. And I know more about the DevOps stuff he does than people realized. And I think vice versa, like Part of it was just explaining we do have safeguards in place, but I'll admit a big part of it was like, uh, there are so many uncertainties that like, I think to run a business, you just have to have this confidence. We'll figure it out. And that's, 
that was probably not a very satisfactory answer, but I think that is the truth to how I approach that. Yeah, you basically said, listen, this is part of like the risk of working here is we might yeah. be we might get hit by a bus. Or like, what if you get married and then your spouse gets hit by a bus? Like, yeah, that, that would be terrible. That would suck. But life goes on, you know, or yeah. for, for some people involved, life goes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so that, that's the, but like the value there is that, that, that whoever had that in their mind got that out and you talk to them about it mm-hmm. and that's what you yeah. want. And I think if nothing else, I don't know how they feel about my answer, but I feel like it went from, I have this anxiety to at the very worst, I have this anxiety, but the CEO seems pretty confident about this, right? Even if that's all they saw was that I'm not worried about it. That's probably something. I wish I, I, w- I mean, I wish we had a, uh, a specialist, a psycho a psychologist specializing in anxiety right now on the <laughs> on the podcast with us because I'm sure that they have some really good questions to pull this out of people. Yeah. I wonder if like you could just search like psychology one oh like s- s- good questions to ask an anxious an anxious person or some to to, to identify anxiety. Um, that would be an interesting exercise, but you might get some weird. You might dig a little deep there. Yeah, and there's also I want to avoid it to an extent there's also some value in it's a balance where like you kind of also th- this meeting is a really good opportunity to convey to people that there are there is a lot of nuance that is maybe hidden to them most of the time so like a little bit of the anxiety is like oh yeah running a business is hard the fact that i don't always get everything that i want is for a reason and it's cuz there's all these other considerations so it's kind of like i want to make them a little inc- like i want them to feel that there is stress, but protect them from taking on the burden of that stress themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. You want, you want them to have a better understanding of reality, Mm -hmm. um, but you don't want them to be burdened by that. Yeah. Anyway, I, that's, that's I think that was, that was a good tangent. Uh, not this whole meeting, this whole one-on-one is not like about managing anxiety. That's not the purpose of it, but it's something I try to be aware of with asking these questions is not like causing people to go into a tailspin over it. So one of the things you have on here is, should I consider changes to the current format? For example, like right now you give the topics in advance when you send these one-on-ones out. I think like, I think this has to be prepared for. And Mm -hmm. I think if you like, I don't know how much advance notice you're giving. I'd be interested in knowing how much advance notice you're giving. What um, level of preparation are you asking for? Is this something that they think about in the shower or is this something they need to spend an hour, a couple, like they need to really put some thought into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if you share the goal of with them of like the goal of this is to build a relationship with you. Um, and, and to like identify chinks in our culture armor. It's important that you prepare for this and, you know, here's some questions to get you started. But at the end of the day, I'm interested in talking about accomplishing these two objectives, however you see fit. That's a good point. I definitely don't do that. That third point. I don't express the, the reason we do this. Um, so that's low hanging fruit there. I'll do that. I, when I'm done talking here, I, I maybe want to dive in and figure out exactly how I should communicate that. But the other two things you asked, how far in advance, I normally give them maybe a week's notice. The reason for that is I haven't prepared the company-wide presentation yet. And so a lot of the times, so I ask them three questions, but either the question specifically or one of the questions is like react to the presentation. So the presentation's about, oh, well, because we grew faster than we should have last year, cash flow is a little constrained right now. A question might be about that. So I don't send them out until I know what the actual presentation content's going to be. Um, 
And then this, the middle one you asked was how much time is expected them to prepare. I'd say it's probably more think about it in the shower than spend an hour preparing, but everyone kind of handles that on their own. I just realized when you said the deck, the presentation thing, I realized that this is also part of your one-on-one is to help them under, like to, to supplement your presentation communication and, and achieve clarity, create clarity for them. So it's yeah, almost like, point. yeah, it's like, I, I, I'm unclear still like what the number one objective is of this. It feels like number one actually is communicate clearly. Well, let's back up. The, the yeah. number one objective of this doesn't exist. Like if, if you're asking why are things the way they are, evolution, it just turned into this. Oh, if okay. you're saying let's back up and pick a, a number one objective, I'm happy to do that. But it would be a mistake to think I went into this with a number one objective. I, I think you're... I think you probably started doing this for some to solve some problem that you perceived or to avoid a problem. And I my my guess is that it was probably a communication and it's probably a trust problem at the end of the day. It's probably core to your culture for people to understand what's going on and um and then make like so I guess why what would happen? Here's the I really don't understand like what would happen if you just didn't do the one-on-ones. What are you concerned that would happen? I, I don't know. I was under the impression every business did something, I mean, maybe very different formats, but any 20-person team with one person at the top, that person's not going indefinitely without ever meeting with each person on the team, it, uh, which isn't an answer to your question. I appreciate being yeah. challenged on this, but am I wrong about this? Like, did you not do this at, at PeopleKeep when it was 20 people? Um. I constantly met one-on-one with people. I didn't have this regimen of six months. Um, there was either information that needed to be communicated, and it was usually uh, communication that wasn't it wasn't like a, a frequency based thing. It was a time, like a change instance. Like something's changing. I need to communicate this, which was constant at People Keep. And most of my one-on-ones were with the goal of helping to clarify what change was happening and then assist people through the change cycles. But I don't think like that's what you're doing here. I think you're. The, this isn't like massive change. This is continuous communication, new uh, and 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 helping helping your employees to understand what's going on at the company so that they can contribute. Okay, so to speak to that, yeah. W- again, it used to be that I met every month, and that was like the time based stuff. But it was like, well, something will have happened in the last month. We'll have something to talk about, and then things sort of slowed down as as you grow. Um, now I still do what you're saying. If someone is working on a project and they finish, I meet with them. Or if, if some external thing happens, that's like, we need to talk, we talk. But I do think there's a different type of, even if you meet with someone every week, if you're only ever focusing on the immediate needs, there's like a type of conversation that leaders should be having with the the other people at the company that it's never the thing you need to talk about right now. Like, are you happy here, right? If, if you're only re- reacting to the thing that just changed, you're never going to ask, what are your career goals for 10 years from now and stuff like that? I totally agree. And I guess what is confusing me is what the purpose of the presentation is. Why not just meet with them and not do the presentation? So I used to, these used to be totally separate. I used to meet with people every month. And then I I think the presentation is is very valuable just to keep, like I'm constantly having conversations with different people and learning all these interesting things about the company. It's a way to disseminate that information down to everybody else. Um, sometimes the presentations are really important. Like we are taking a major new strategic direction. 
those don't necessarily line up every six months. So I would, I'm not like saving them for the presentation, but like when we launched sparse, that's when I, everyone knew we were working on for for people listening who don't know what sparse is. It's a product we tried to launch that we killed. Um, I told them not to do it. I told them not to do it. Well, but most of your advice is bad. So I don't, (laughs) (laughs) um, So when we were doing that, everyone knew we were working on Sparse, but I was like, I'm going to take an hour and a half and I'm going to dive into why, right? Like some people I think were really excited about the new project. Some were like, what are we doing here? This isn't the type of company we are. And it was a time to be like, I'm going to, like I have in my head why this makes sense. I'm going to really do a deep dive on it. Sometimes we have that. Sometimes it's just not a lot's going on right now. Here's an update on you know the numbers, the growth. It's, it's almost like a board meeting because we don't have a board of directors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, um, it feels like the whole, like the whole goal of, I want to be in tune with defending culture that could, that if you just focused on that alone, it, you might do things differently than an, mm-hmm. an, a presentation every six months and a one-on-one afterwards. Um, and maybe that's worth exploring outside of this, like, is, you know, if we were just going to look at that objective on its own, how could we better accomplish that objective? Um, I understand like every, like this, I don't fully understand the six month cadence, but like, I totally understand of like, Hey, like it's good to communicate to everyone and then s- sit with them and make sure that they understood the communication and open up a great time to open up for concerns. Um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I don't want to se- I don't want to say that when you think you're doing is wrong. I just, it feels like there's multiple things that you're accomplishing with these two things. And perhaps looking at each of those things individually, you could do these in a better way. Okay. But, but, it, but in the, in the context of this discussion, which is how do you get the most out of these one-on-ones, it feels like you have to send questions out. You've got the, you know, you want them to think about the presentation and I, and it, and it seems like you want to make, you want to make it super clear about what you want to accomplish in the meeting. And I'm, I'm he- kind of hearing three things. One is, you know, Hey, like would love your, you know, to clarify any and answer any concerns or questions you have about the material we just discussed one is, you know, we, uh, you know, I want, I, I want to, well, maybe one is relationship two is that. And then three is, and I really want to make sure that we're doing a culture checkup and, and you're, we're working, we, we, you know, I can pull anything out of me and you can pull anything out of, out of, you can, I can pull anything out of you and you can pull anything out of me to help us maintain this culture and improve it. I don't know. So there, it just it feels like object like being clear on the objectives might get you more out of it without any additional questions. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So l- let me let's dive into the objectives a little more. There's at least two things that maybe sort of overlap with what you just said, but not exactly. One is just like I'm a manager, and it's you said you don't understand the six month cadence. I'm not saying there's anything magic about six months, but I think a normal manager needs it's either quarterly or six months or annual. We don't do uh, like pay negotiations, but that's an example of the type, like you need to have a time set aside where it's like, I'm going to do this, or I want to check in on your career. There's, there's like the kind of, I, every leader owes it to the people working for them to understand what they want career wise and empower them. And if you don't do check-ins, you're neglecting that responsibility. So that's, that overlaps a little with what you're talking about. It's not exactly culture. It's more like being a manager to that person. And then the the other one is getting ideas. Uh, like some of the things that come out of these are like, they're not all culture questions. Sometimes it's literally like, what growth channel should we be going after that we have kind of neglected? And occasionally people are like, well, 
I talk to people in this one industry all the time and it seems like low, low hanging fruit. Why aren't we doing anything? And I'm like, well, cause no one ever told me about that. Uh, so there's the three things you said, there's management, just normal management duties. And then there's get ideas for my own like strategy decisions. Yeah. And if you can figure out how to communicate that super clearly to the person that you're having the meeting with, they can take some ownership of achieving those things. Um, That's one way to approach it. Uh, Otherwise you can drive, you can lead the conversation to those results through questions. Um, But it's, it's, it's a, I, I always try to, I always like it better when there's shared owner, like, especially in a one-on-one, I like shared ownership of the outcome. And I honestly, like, I I would prefer the, the individual employee in this case to own the meeting. Um, Mm, yeah, because I I want them to drive it. So, but the only way to give them without, without letting them just drive it wherever they want to, you know, here's what we want to accomplish, giving them clear, like, here's what we want to accomplish in this. You tell me where you want to go. That's one way to approach this. So I used to originally, that was when we did the monthly one-on-ones, I kind of said, I'm, I'm going to schedule this and you have to like, yeah, you're driving, you're in charge here. What ended up happening is some people would, you know, be creative. They'd put thought into it in advance. Some people would come in. I'd be like, what do you, what's on your mind? And they'd be like, yeah, not, not much. I'm just doing my work. I'm happy. And the, it'd be like a five minute meeting. <laughs> so part of this was, especially with people who've been here for five plus years, if I don't drag it out of them, sort of it, we kind of entered, it wasn't just that they weren't saying stuff because they were content. It was sort of a rut. It's like, you know, it's routine. I'm not, I'm not thinking outside of the box anymore. I'm not pushing myself. And so I wanted to kind of force everyone to like challenge the status quo a little. Yeah. And I think the time cadence now might solve that for you. Um, because you're not meeting every month. This isn't routine now. This is, this is a special time for us to, you know, do, do these things. Take, you know, please put some time into it. I'm going to put some time into it and let's, 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 uh, let's maximize this time together. I don't know. I, maybe that won't work. Maybe that puts pressure on them. Something that just came to mind with, with you saying that they should be driving things. What would you think about? I'm, I'm emailing them some number of questions. What if I said everybody you before, before the meeting, you have to email me a question and we'll talk about that. Honestly, like if they come to you with questions, coming up with good questions requires you to think. It's much harder to ask a good question than to answer one. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think if I, at the end of the day, a sign maybe that this meeting's going well is that you're getting really good questions. Yeah. I want them, I, I, the reason I'm saying to do it in advance. I want them to have time to think about what they're going to ask me, but also I want time to think about how to answer it if the question's for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Them asking more questions is a good way to force them to think. That's a good point. Yeah. And I would say the more is not necessarily the definition of better. So good, like there's a difference between, so what do you do in the morning, Tyler? What's your morning routine? And Mm -hmm why are we doing this with this resource? Yeah. There's different like levels of questions. So I don't, I don't think the goal is quantity here. I think you want a really good question that impacts some other things um, that they've been thinking about. Yeah. I'm thinking if it's just one, I feel like there's a certain amount of social pressure to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I Maybe I'll just do it and see what happens. But I, my guess is everyone will put thought into it if I'm like, 
one of the requirements of this meeting is you have to send me something beforehand, and it's exactly one thing, and that's the question you get to ask. Not that everyone knows they can ask more questions, but like, if it's what's your morning routine, I think people would know that that's a bad <laughs> response to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I one thing that I think. I think the more you can, I, I'm going to come back to the thing. Like the more clear you can make the objective of the meeting to to the individual team members, the more they can prepare thoughtfully and help you achieve that outcome. Yeah. And uh, and and who knows where? Like, I, I like if I if you ask me that question, I I can't. Like, if you ask me to come meet with you one on one tomorrow, that would be a very different thing for me to think about between now and then than three specific questions. Yeah. Do you think it's, we, we talked about five objectives. That's a problem. I think that's a problem. I think that's I what need I was to trying like to turn to it earlier. into. Do I need to turn it into one? Do I need to turn it into three? Uh, I don't know the answer. It feels like what's happened is the six month and one-on-one thing has turned into a catch-all for a couple of things that you get out of it. Mm-hmm. And if it's worth like, it feels to me like it's either it, it might be working like and you're trying it's to improve it. Yeah. yeah. So I am hesitant to say like there's a problem here, but if you want more of one of those things, uh, you could make it explicit that that's what your goal is and focus on it and then make it a supplemental goal of your own to pull out the other things when you're meeting. So what's the one thing that you really want to accomplish with that time that you want them focused on happening, making happen? And then maybe you design your questions around the other agendas. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to put some thought into, uh, if, if one of those things, I'll, I'll write down the five things. Like I said, if, if they're like Venn diagrams, maybe some of them overlap enough that I can just combine them together and then prioritize and say, is one of these really more important to me than the others? But okay. Thanks for talking through this with me. I think I'm ready for takeaways unless you got anything else. The, The only thing I'd add there is that, uh, when you do that, don't be afraid to say, Hmm, I should do, I should accomplish that some other way. And let's like not even worry about it as part of this exercise. I should mention, I have other ways for people to provide all this feedback. Like every six months I, on a different schedule, every six months I send out a survey to people. It's open all the time. They can fill it out whenever they want, but I just remind them every six months. It's like an anonymous provide feedback to the CEO thing. Every week I do group, uh, do group brainstorming, where people have a chance to like weigh in on the strategies of what we're working on. So for anyone listening, I think that I've found this type of meeting to be successful. I think it could be better, which is why I brought it up. But it's absolutely not the only way, like this is the one time people get to talk to me and otherwise, you know, it's closed. Then I would say then when you go through this, you're probably going to say, like, look at these and you should probably rate how well you're doing at these things with the other things. I'm sorry. Like you have these five objectives. You should probably just quickly assess like, Hey, I am, Mm, I am doing well. This doesn't need to be, I'm not, I don't have a problem here. I don't have a problem here with, I have other, other processes that cover these things. This is where, where I'm and identify where you're weak on those objectives and maybe make that the objective of the one-on-one. Okay. So I've got the five objectives or however many I end up settling on. It's maybe all five are equally valid. And the goal isn't to remove the objectives. It's to say, I'm already doing these in other ways, so let's not clutter up this relatively rare meeting with something that I can get some other way. That that makes sense to me. Cool. Uh, what, what are your? T- do you want to talk about takeaways? Yeah. Um. I mean, we talked a little bit about specific questions I can ask. And I'm I'm going to go back and listen to that and try and come up with 
some specific ideas. Focusing on on negative outcomes, I think, is an interesting one. But the high level thing, like you said, is understanding what what my objectives are here is first step, and then communicating those objectives to everybody else, partially just to get them more bought into the meeting, but also partially so that when they're answering the questions, when they're giving me questions, they understand what the point of the meeting is. I think that's going to go a long way. Cool. Uh, that's and awesome. that probably applies to every meeting and especially every one-on-one. I think some of the, sometimes this happens naturally. We're going to meet because X, Y, Z. And sometimes you meet and no one says that out loud. And probably it's just good to keep in mind if, if the objectives aren't defined, any meeting is probably going to be suboptimal. Totally. And and the other thing that happens is you realize you start you you start doing other things to accomplish the same objectives and the meeting's no longer necessary. Mm, so yeah. like that's the other alternative path. Well, I think you've got it. And um, I think it's super, I always, man, this is why you have such a good culture as you think about stuff like this. I, I will say a lot of the times in these meetings, one thing I hear is people are like, is there a problem? Like, is there a reason we're talking about this? And I do think that if you think everything's going well, the worst thing you can do is be like, great, we don't need to talk about that anymore. If it, Like you have to keep poking at it and trying to figure out what's wrong or else it'll rot eventually. And the other takeaway I had was you have to do that without burdening them with the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey. Um, that's that you seem to have a good art of that. I I definitely have a tendency to sort of oh, let me share all the information with you, and so, so you don't uh, so you gray as fast as I do. Yeah, it's a tricky balance. So some people really want that. Some people, it's like they're going to be motivated and inspired, and they're going to learn a lot. But other people, they're going to go home and cry, and it's like figuring out, making sure you're not mixing up those two people is important, I think. (laughs) Totally, totally. So, all right, cool. Well, this is helpful. Thanks. All right. Um, Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, um, I have two favors to ask. First, please uh, write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge part in uh, helping other people discover useful podcasts. And second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please uh, tell them about Startup to Last. Um, You can find past topics and show notes at startuptolast.com. And Tyler, I will see you next week. All right. See you.